Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, as normal, which is Nitin Gower. Hey, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Glad to be here. Not a lot happened this week, which is which is an exception. Things are quiet, which is not a bad thing to focus on just research and reading. So that's great, I think. That's exactly what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about not a lot happening. And so let me start this off by setting some context. So the world of doldrums are known well by sailors that sail around the world. In fact, the doldrums are an interesting sort of meteorological condition. They're the calm, sort of motionless, windless area amongst the tropics. They are that way because of the fact that the tropical zone sits there and the sun heats it and, and in fact, the, the uplift of the warm, wet, warm conditions just goes straight up in the air. What's on both sides of the tropical zone are the northeast and the southeast trade winds. But when you get into the tropical zone, you just float around. And over the years, sailors have coined terms like going tropo in the tropical zone. They worry about whether the captain has got a right direction and whether the, there's any chance that they're going to get out of the tropical zone. They could be in it for two weeks, just floating around until enough wind moves them until they finally get in to the area that is going to suddenly take off, which are these fabulous trade winds of the north and south. I think we're there now. I think we're coming out of that that area of doldrums now is this quiet period when the market's volume has dropped considerably, when interest is, has waned, and where everyone's sort of reflecting going, does the captain have the right direction? And part of those reflections I've heard lately by chatting to many people as one does, both in and out of the space, is, the, is this question of, is there a killer app? And one fellow said to me the other day, he said, Oh, I'm not going to invest in this space until I see the killer app. Name the killer app. And I've noticed in the chit chat around the web is people are saying, where's the killer app? So I thought I'd add a little bit of context to this and remind people of how Web 2.0 came around. Now, firstly, Web 2.0 is, is simply the next version of the web. Web 1.0 was essentially was emails and file transfer protocols and web 2.0 was the visualization, the utilization of the web in a different manner. When that appeared, we had no idea what might become the killer apps in it. And of course, now in hindsight, the killer apps became clear and the killer apps were Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, WhatsApp, etc. So I thought, all right, let's dig down and have a look at this killer app called YouTube and say, so YouTube just suddenly appeared in 2005, in February 2005, and it took the world by storm. No, it didn't. YouTube was the follow-on of real player networks, if one remembers that. 
It was the follow-on from Windows Media Player. It was the follow-on from QuickTime that Apple tried to produce. It was the follow-on from Flash Videos, which is HTML videos. iFilm, which was a film platform that was released. Putfile, which was another video streaming and hosting services. Share Your World, which was founded in 1997, <laughs> which is a way of being able to share your data. And even Google had a shot at it in early 2005 and, and didn't succeed. But the point was that it took Google nearly eight years to become this overnight success and a killer application. And then it took them a further eight years until 2013 to have their first one billion users on it. Well, Nitin, there's only 400 million users using crypto throughout the world, not holding it or speculating it, but actually using it. There's only 400 million users. There's 40% of the, of the users that YouTube used in 2013. So now all these years later, we use things like Uber and PayPal and, and Calendry and Google Documents and Google and, and say Google Mail, etc. There's just dozens of things that permeate and exist in our existence on a constant basis, all operating still in what we refer to as this web 2.0 world. But it's 2023. And so yeah. Uber's appearance was was, you know, in the teens and 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 these early appearances of Facebook, which appeared in 2004 and Twitter, which appeared in 2006, and then WhatsApp that appeared after that, these were all killer applications. But they actually had to have a decent user base for those killer applications to really take off. And although 2022 was a very tumultuous year in, in the aspects of finance, the user base for the world of crypto assets increased by 39% up until September 2022. And that's about 100 million users went online in the worst year of crypto. So what I think we need to look at, and I'll set the context for your view on this, is that yeah. in fact, the user base is still rapidly growing, a little bit like dial-up computers, dial-up internet, is letting go and now broadband was coming on. So the user base in this space is still rapidly growing and it is rapidly growing, 40% in the worst year of history. So the user base is rapidly growing, but still 400 million people. We have so many applications operating in this space, but most of it has started as infrastructure and payment systems. And when you think about it, this world is a payment-based world to begin with. It is the internet yeah. of value. So maybe might start the argument of the killer apps are already here, Nitin. It's just the user base hasn't arrived yet. Is that a fair proposition? So I think in this killer app conversation, Derek, and, and I think all spot on observations. And to my vantage point, and I've been dealing this killer app conversation, I would say for the larger for the larger part of last decade, is where's the killer app? In fact, mm. 2012, 2013, we were having this killer app conversation. 
And the idea behind Killer App is that the Killer App is the one that's going to bring the next billion or two billion people to your vantage point for the YouTube example that you cited. But we also have to realize for every successful YouTube, there are a hundred unsuccessful other applications that no one's heard of. And YouTube actually had the momentum, the backing and all the right timing for it to succeed and share the content and and sort of rule the web to a world. So almost 15 years since, it'll be 15 in, in January, February, 15 years since the revolutionary Bitcoin paper, and we are still hoping for killer apps. And you're right, there's enough momentum. The industry has evolved, I would say, from massive innovation in technology, social systems, financial products with DeFi, and innovative perspectives on new age financial primitives of how we borrow and how we lend, which is completely different and a lot less, I would say, burdensome cheaper than doing these financial primitives with banking. And I, when I may, you know, when I use the word financial primitives, is not just payments, which I think is, at least in my vantage point, should be the primary focus of the killer app, because payment touches all the eight billion people in the world. At the end yes. of the day, we are building infrastructure for movement of value. And payment is the lowest common denominator of movement of value. We do move money all the time, whether it's domestically or internationally, remittances, overseas foreign workers sending money home, and you know, and many other use cases, business to business movement of money. Movement of money is that fungibility rails that is sort of solving the last mile problem for every transaction, whether you're buying and selling equities or you're buying and selling cross-border business to business. So movement of money to me should be the primary focus. And I think that in the enterprise world, since the inception of of the blockchain world, we've witnessed things like digital fiat, we've witnessed stable coins, central bank digital currencies and tokenized deposits. And the enterprise world is now talking, you know, talking about asset tokenization, which is lion's share of my work now, focusing on tokenizing, you know, tokenizing securities and bonds and equities and money market funds and mutual funds, and on and on and on, right? But where is the killer app? Where we see more headlines, and I can attest to it, I see a lot more headlines. Than actual action, and mm. and so it seems right. And and extensively analysis of the industry, and uh, you know we ourselves, as back in the day, we were looking at portal. We crafted into various classification systems. So you have digital asset classification frameworks. We have seventeen different categories, you know, ranging from you know cryptocurrencies to NFTs. Uh, but I would like to draw your attention, Derek, back to basics: payments. Bitcoin was a payment innovation, and it. You know, it it is to me the killer app. It's either Bitcoin or stablecoin, and we should touch a little bit back on stablecoin because we have spent enough time on this show back in the day as to stablecoin, both in terms of global macro, but also connecting the two economies together. But Bitcoin or stablecoin, I think, has not only until now established the infrastructure needed for industry to grow, mm-hmm. while experiments such as Lightning continues to propose scalability models a bunch of money movement, be it store of value or or simple payments. To me, the killer apps are here. I, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's just a matter of reducing the barriers to entry, making wallets easier to understand, not dealing with the mechanics of key management, which most common people don't really care, and creating a facade of user ID and password that people fully understand to engage in the economy. And I think, and the reason why I say payments, Derek, I've done a lot of research on this topic is... If you look at the, not just the pain points, there's almost a trillion dollars worth of money that moves around the world purely as remittances. These are 
small amounts of money going across borders to families of overseas foreign workers. <clears throat> and then you have the geopolitical events that are shaping and challenging the US dollar hegemony where payment takes an urgent priority, especially because today, if you want to send money from let's say Kenya, Kenyan shillings to like Indian rupees, you have to go through a step through currency, which is yes. you convert the Kenyan shillings into dollars and then eventually into, into rupees because dollar becomes sort of the accepted universally and global reserve of sorts. And if that were to be replaced with Bitcoin, for example, then you're impacting a global populace of the larger global South that's involved in remittances and moving money. And that is a natural fit for the entire half the US, I mean, half the world population to get on this system because it's cheaper, it's faster, it's better, and you have complete transparency and it's almost instantaneous. It doesn't take a week for you to send money from Ghana or from Singapore to Ghana, for example. So I would say that, you know, if we were to treat crypto, or in this case, Bitcoin as a step through currency, and the global currency continues to be challenged, we can actually be able to make that breakthrough of, of that killer app that you're talking about, because it's understood. Everybody has a need for payments. We simply have to address that need. And once that need is addressed, suddenly I can layer use cases after use case with Aave, Uniswap, all the things that you are talking about in terms of advanced financial products. So I'll pause here, Derek, to see if that resonates with your thinking as well. Well, I think it's resonating in the thinking of the developed countries, particularly. Often when I've discussed this in, you know, the the comfortable boardrooms of Zurich and Geneva and London and Singapore and here in Australia, you know, there's a tendency to look out the window and say, seems to be working fine to me, you know. And of course it's working fine for them <laughs> because they're in Switzerland, London and Singapore, the great banking districts of the world. But the users of this space are beautifully ranked by coin analysis, well and truly worth having a look at. And it provides them with a global crypto adoption structure. And it outlines it in the form of centralized services, retail services, peer-to-peer exchanges. In other words, who are the biggest users of peer-to-peer exchanges? By the way, biggest users of DeFi and peer-to-peer exchanges are India. They're the number one That's user right. in the world. And in retail DeFi value ranking, India is the number one also. In overall indexing, interesting enough, Vietnam is the number one, the Philippines number two, Ukraine number three, India number four. The United States doesn't even rank to the fifth position in the world. It's only one of two developed countries in the world using digital assets in the top 20. So Pakistan is number six, Brazil number seven, Thailand number eight, Russia number nine for the obvious reasons. China is now number 10, despite the fact that it's banned there. And we can go on and on, Argentina, Morocco, Colombia, Nepal, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what that says to me is that the users of this are the countries where the banking system is not as effective as as it it could be. And this system's getting adopted a little bit like how India adopted cellular telephone systems so quickly that the the villagers never got wires delivered to them and that i think is what's happening in these countries this payment system is getting adopted very rapidly but the thing is you know that when you've got money in your hand that is crypto asset money and you can potentially not convert it to fiat and walk down the street to buy your to only buy your eggs and bread but you can buy things online that follows it 
what follows it becomes banking systems and becomes payments and, and, and retail areas and becomes services, etc. So one could argue that because of the blockchain that's getting created, this immutable accounting system that runs all these payments that are occurring and the payment processes that are getting built all around the world, you, you would say then that in fact, the infrastructure is getting built rapidly and the developing countries are the first users. And from there, the killer apps come. Am I being overly optimistic or is it just, is it, is it, it just makes logical sense to me that that's what's happening? No, no, I think it makes logical sense, Derek. And I think I'd like to draw the attention to your point on stablecoins, right? Stablecoins, and I did some research, there's actually, a, you know, a coin metrics had a state of network. And I would encourage readers, we can put this in our show notes. Believe it or not, 10% of all crypto market cap today is in stablecoin. 75% of all transaction volume in dollars is in stablecoin. 7 trillion of value is traded using stablecoin, right? And so, if you look into existing infrastructure, so all the things we talk about decentralization and the smart contracts and all the things that Ethereum ecosystem, lion's share of all crypto is driven by fiat. It's all driven by USD. We're using the net infrastructure that is meant to fight the single fiat hegemony is being utilized heavily to move the money. It's an evidence. Seven trillion is still a small amount compared to the several quadrillion dollars worth of money that moves at a transaction level that 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 we view. But but so to the to your point, uh, I think that if we go after the lowest hanging fruit, that it touches every single human being. To your point, if I can address payments and only payments, and mm-hmm. that way that if we can solve the payment issue, whether it's remittances, whether it's B two B, whether it's security settlement, you have different swim lanes of payments for different types of transactions. I think there's a killer app. You should be able to be able to integrate your existing system. And I think a perfect example, which was announced last week, Derek, was PayPal, the PYUSD. PayPal itself has 400 users, 400 million users um, Mm. on Mm. PayPal platform. Mm. And while it's only for US customers today, it's conceivable that if PayPal chooses to be able to allow for US dollar-based movement based on regulatory clarity and regulatory approvals, then you can suddenly double your user base that you you said early on with single application. And then it's a matter of time that you have Razorpay in India and you have Paytm in India. Suddenly you have all these payment applications in emerging economies adopting this underlying technology. And next thing you know, Derek, you have your numbers that you seek for it to be truly qualifying to be a killer app. That's where I think we should have to do simple things. I don't think we can start with equities and tokenization of money market funds and all this is great. It's going to happen at some point, but it still will never be a killer app because it's only addressing institutional need and not the need of the common man. Mm. But it's also, you're absolutely right, Nid, and I agree with that. But it's also interesting that we look at this entire new economic system as if there would be a single killer app in it. And that's the point about it. It's an entire new economic system, which is bringing together these nations all around the world currently on fiat. I would argue not necessarily in the future, you know, with lots of really profound software technologies, there's legacy technology that progresses it, that precedes it rather. 
And that proceeding of legacy technology is what they adopt to then to be able to turn around and create their revolution. You know, the ability for people to hold and command their own assets that are in their hands, the bearer assets, which is what it's about, I think is another really important thing. I mean, even in, a, even in Australia and in America, the US dollar and the Australian dollar note doesn't belong to us. It belongs to right. the government. We're not allowed right. to destroy it. When, it's, yeah. when the money is in the bank, that's not our money. We get that's it right. at the will of the, of the bank. It's extraordinary if you were to be actually dealing in digital assets in 20 years time, where you are the bearer of your assets, it sits in your wallet, no one can touch it, and you can transfer it around the world. And you tap someone on the shoulder and say, I've got this great new idea. Why don't we give all of our money to someone else? Why don't we give them? And if, if hopefully they'll do really well and they'll charge us for holding it and, and they'll give us a small interest rate in return. But if something goes wrong on a macroeconomic scale, they might take it from you. And I'd be sitting there going, I don't think that's a very good idea, but that's currently what we exist in. So I would argue that we're in actual fact, you know, this is just the foundation of what is the future of this internet of value and the killer apps are getting used right now but by small numbers of developing countries and a lot of that's getting held back through regulation also and the utilization of fiat currency is probably the adoption of legacy know-how and the future is likely to be some other form of digital assets in many yeah. years to come so here's the here's the the I would say I would say a challenging force that's coming between what we are discussing here, Derek, and the universal adoption of Bitcoin or any of the cryptocurrencies, which is derived from the economic system of the layer one blockchain. Payments will always be a sticking point for every sovereign nation for two reasons, as you mentioned, that a currency, a sovereign currency, gives enormous power for the governments to be able to control a bunch of things, your accounts, your economic powers and identities and and being able to be able to, you know, provide policy controls and so on and so forth, whether it's taxation, whether it's inflation, whatever the case may be. Second thing is counterterrorism financing. I think there's a whole lot of conversation in terms of what money can do. Can it be used for good, but can it also be used for bad, for nefarious purposes and bad actors using money to weaponize sort of the currency itself. And as long as we're having payment conversation in this context, it'll always be a sticking point with the regulatory forces around the world, whether it's the global bodies like FATF and FSB or, or the central bank sort of, you know, alphabet soup of agencies around the world who will dictate to say this is not good for financial stability, it's good, not good for counterterrorism financing and so on and so forth. So I, I believe that while payment to me has, has maybe because I'm biased, I spend a lot of time in payments is still a killer app and it's able to solve these things. The debate that I would like to have at some point is, are we okay with lower hanging fruits to say, you know, whether it's stable coin or whether it's your bank accounts, at the end of the day, government can freeze the account, even the stable coins, like you're yeah. issuing a coin and, and, and the reserves that back the coin up can be frozen and your tokens become worthless at that point, similar to as your account is frozen and the likes of what happened in Cyprus or what, what happened in Zimbabwe, that can happen with stablecoin or, or any currency per se. But my question then becomes is, is that a good interim step? Is that acceptable to us in a resilient sort of currency to say this currency 
you know, and today that's US dollar. Tomorrow it could be something else, which which is reflective of the values of a government issuing it to say this will most likely not happen or the likes of Argentina and what happened. And that's, again, it's a constant question, as you may have seen with inflation and everything else. And I don't know what the answer to that, Derek, is that to expect the populace to switch directly to Bitcoin overnight, I think it's maybe unrealistic expectation, though I think that that's probably the best path we should adopt because that is resilient, it's there, and we should be able to use them, except that the access to that is still not easy to obtain Bitcoins directly. You still need the banking rails. If you're not a miner or if you're not technically savvy, you still need the banking rails to move the money, to buy Bitcoin. And that is, you know, Operation Choke Point 2.0 has been under attack. I know a longer response, but but I'm looking at these things and geopolitical regulation and technology and what all technology can do oftentimes becomes easier to adopt, except that the barriers at the periphery are preventing from this to take off, I think. Yeah. Look, I, I agree. It's I, I still firstly, the name of our show is Beyond Bitcoin. So we really need to be fair about the Bitcoin thing and and acknowledge that there are other payment gateways that will work too, apart from Bitcoin. <laughs> so so clearly Ripple's arguing <laughs> the proposition that there can be a platform for not just payment gateways, but institutional governmental payment gateways between banks and governments, etc. And we'll see how that progresses. You know, there's there's they're, they're already engaged with a with a, a number of countries and banks around the world who are considering the Ripple solution. And there are many other payment methods that have got, that have got sufficient volume liquidity through them to be, able yeah. to, to be able to enable small payments to occur. But the question that the, you're, you're rightly saying is that there are forces that be that aren't keen to see this payment system occur. And primarily, they are the major governmental groups, like we said, before last week, we were discussing the International Monetary Authority, and we were discussing the, the G20 and, and how they're trying to keep control of the currencies. And, and I'd like to also just put in that, that their statement regularly is that we need to be able to see all transactions occur. Otherwise, you know, money laundering can, can occur. So I very quickly just determined and searched on the amount of money, cash, in circulation around the world. Um, it's estimated at about 5.8 trillion US dollars of value. And about 2.1 trillion of that is in US dollars within the US dollar wow. US dollar parameters, right? So the total value of Bitcoin sits at about 600 billion at the moment. Wow. And the total value of the space is about 1.1 trillion and $5.8 trillion of cash is swimming around the world, untraceable and easily transacted. And of course, we all know the great stories about private jets with pallets of US dollar <laughs> notes being flown between countries. None of that is traceable. The argument that they that they want to be able to follow everything is not strongly founded when you realize how much cash is used to transact around the world with these somewhat gray areas that are getting transacted in. And I would argue that the position of fully fully noted blockchain or you know orderless accounting systems is more effective than flying pallet loads of cash around of cash. the world yeah. you know what i mean it's it's easier to trace it it's easier to use it so so i think there's going to be a pushback for a period of time where the governments will want to maintain control and so these affect 
the adoption rate of the killer app. But once people do get control of their own money, once wallets become much easier to use, once PayPal and Visa, JP Morgan, MasterCard all start on-ramping cryptocurrencies and people start paying for things around the world with cryptocurrencies, I think we'll see the killer apps in addition to the money and payment itself, which is the beginning killer app. I think we'll see the killer apps appear in abundance. We'll see the YouTubes and we'll, we'll see the, the Facebooks and the WhatsApps and the Twitters appear in this, in this space, I which agree. we refer I mean, to now as Web 3.0. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are two things, right? Don't get me wrong. I think we see killers app, killer app being born every day. And just like there'll be one of them will be YouTube, the next one will be Uber. And it's you build upon successes of one of the apps. And I think, you know, like today I was in a, I, I was able to open a Fidelity crypto account. So Fidelity begins to offer now some crypto services, which is new. It popped up and I was able to open an account within a matter of like a minute. I opened a wow. Fidelity crypto account within a minute. And right. it, it, it did say that we, <laughs> which is funny, it says we don't offer banking services on this account. So I'm thinking, how do I move money into it? But they do have an avenue to move money from banking system to that particular thing. And it's limited to just a few coins that has, but that's a beginning. And this is just me experimenting. I'll open any account just to be able to learn, even if I don't end up using it. And there was a time when I had 160 different wallets and yes, you lose money in the whole thing because there's liquidity aggregation that you forget over time. But I think, you know, Aave, Uniswap, and some of the things that you mentioned in your narrative, Derek, are sort of bringing it all together. And it's just a matter of, to me, if I can make walleting easier, the interface. Yes. That, to me, it'll be killer wrap that becomes the gateway to all these amazing services, which is truly amazing in the way we can bank onto, you know, you would have a Swiss experience on the web through your ecosystem <laughs> to be able to be able to engage in all these financial products that the industry has to offer as long as you have a good interface and while the interface is there like metamask has done good work in making it a browser pluggable sort of wallet but there are still vulnerabilities there are still challenges in understanding and supportability of protocols and you need like multiple wallets but i think and there are amazing projects i've, I've personally been privy to at least four or five of them who are trying to solve that problem of walleting. And I think that wallets would be, Derek, if not a killer app, would actually be the be the catalyst to all the killer apps that me and you are aware of and we talk so fondly about, right? So Yes, I totally agree, Nitin, 100%. The, the wallet, if the wallet becomes something that a grandmother can open, so to speak, then this industry has all yeah. the doors open to it. And so I think that's going to be another killer app and that killer app could well open the doors to the whole industry and build its killer apps. So we're getting to the, the end of our, 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 our podcast. I probably want to bring us back maybe to the fact that in the doldrums, you're sitting around the decks of this sailing boat and you're, you're looking at your navel and your navel and you're contemplating, you know, is the captain sailing it in the right direction? Are we going to be here forever? Is this always going to be how it is? And the answer is, it always changes because sooner or later you arrive at either the northeast or the, 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 the northwest or the southeast trade winds and off we go. My sense consistently now is that we're not far from the edge of that 
in this realm of both the investment realm and also the utilization realm of this space. I think we've been through what is called a crypto winter. I would argue it is the doldrums for the last nearly two years now. And as we arrive out of that, we're starting, we'll start to look at this space and start to realize that you know, over $100 billion has been invested in it and they're investing and developing product in this space on a constant basis. Yeah. And when we come out of it and we hit the trade winds, those products will start coming to fruition. But now we're in the doldrums, you and I are reflecting on our navels. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'll, I'll tell you one more thing. I know we are closing on this, just as a closing thought on this, right? I think the last few weeks, crypto has become in that we are quiet. It's, it's, we only talk about regulation and ETFs. And my, mm. whenever I talk about, think about ETF and listen to podcasts, talking to my colleagues, I'm like, are we, have you become that boring that we're relying on SEC to approve a crypto ETF? Whatever yes. happened to why, why we all got into this space that we don't care about regulation. And while regulation is important in many different areas that it's meant to protect the consumers. But is the conversation now only about regulatory burden, you know, hurdles and ETFs? Whatever happened to, and so then I go back to where the innovation is happening and and I look into ETH Munich. There's a whole function happened, ETH Paris. There is some innovation happening. And the beauty is, Derek, that most people don't know, but Africa, uh, you know, there have been a few amazing projects that are actually are looking into SMS way of transferring money and that's tied to the Bitcoin system. So I can still right. use Bitcoin network to send money using SMS. And I thought that was brilliant because it still adheres to the M-Pesa model, if you recall, the payment innovation that's been talked about in every financial textbook of innovation and where the necessity lies. I think it's, again, being born out of Africa. And now, again, the QR codes and SMS-based was all born in the countries that needed it the most. And suddenly now the Western countries are adopting these technologies. I found that interesting. I found that mm. more exciting than ETF and then you know SEC right. having lawsuits and Binance. It's just boring stuff. Yeah. <laughs> You're so right. In fact, we've we've just reflected, we've just we've just gazed upon our navel and 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 done exactly this. And that is that in the last few months, we've been talking about regulations and institutional finances, financial groups arriving and making the difference. That's extraordinary. When we first started this podcast, we were talking about amazing things. We were talking about, you know, peripheral computing systems and yeah. You know, the likes of Filecoin technologies. And we were, we were, we were talking about, you know, play to earn gaming. And we're talking about fractionation of, of assets and, and what impact yeah. it will make to the art industry and what impact it will make to artists and songwriters, et cetera. We're talking about fractionation of real world assets, et cetera, et cetera. All yeah. of that still exists. We just found ourselves in the doldrums at the moment talking about the things that are <laughs> yeah, slowing us up. True. So, uh, yeah, I think we've got a navigation path out of the doldrums. I can see it. And I think next week, let's discuss some more of what we think are going to be the killer apps and what's happening in the space. We and, should. We should. Yeah. Good on you, Nitin. Great to see you again and look forward to seeing Good you chatting. next week. Take care, Derek. Bye for see now. next week. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.